0: So what's your podcast about? Superheroes. It's a little geeky, but I think you guys are going to like it. Try not to be too geeky.
1: No, I can't promise that. Should we begin? It's a bird. It's a plane. It's the Geek and You Shall Find podcast. And now, your hosts, Kelsey Dickerson, Brad Fay, Kate Fay, and Noah
0: Berlin. Listen to me now. Welcome, everybody, to Geek and You Shall Find, the podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Dickerson. We're joined by Brad Faye and Kate Faye, a.k.a. The Braits, as well as Noah Berlin. Thank you so much for tuning in with us. Now, of course, we just can't get away from uh, our love of Game of Thrones, as you all cannot as well. It actually uh, broke its own records with House of the Dragon, the prequel sequel of Game of Thrones, where we're exploring House Valyria exploring, House Targaryen, and everything that comes with it with episode two, The Rogue Prince of House of the Dragon. Now, last week or last episode that we covered House of the Dragon, Noah mentioned that it broke all streaming records with 10 million streams on HBO Max. And like I mentioned, it broke its own record this week with episode two with 10.2 million million streams including yours truly here so of course it sucked us back in and we want to talk all about house of the dragon the rogue prince this week and starting off of course we always want to say spoiler alerts hopefully you guys have already seen it we're a little late in covering it this week with our little bonus episode because we just love it that much and so can't say that we didn't worry yeah so first of all Noah can you please help us Set the stage, help us take us through the history of Valyria, House Targaryen, and then also the opening scenes, which a lot of people have some problems with even though I don't think they will once you explain what it's all
1: about. Yeah, so Game of Thrones obviously had one of the most iconic opening sequences ever, so fans had been eagerly anticipating what the intro sequence would look like for the House of the Dragon. The first episode of the premiere didn't have an intro, So finally, with Episode 2, we got to see what we have to look forward to each and every week. So in a sense, the opening credits on both series feature versions of a map, right? In the original Game of Thrones, it was a map of the world, shown through the Astrolab in the Citadel Library. In each episode, the credits changed and moved around to the different regions that would be visited in that episode. In House of the Dragon, the map is actually of the lineage of House Targaryen shown through the model of the Old Valyrian Freehold, located in King Viserys, uh, King Viserys' chambers. This time, instead of focusing on locations on a map, the credits show the bloodline of House Tar- Targaryen, a literal representation of the blood of Old Valyria moving through the Targaryen family tree, starting with Aegon the Conqueror and moving all the way to Princess Rhaenyra at the show's present time. But to understand these opening credits, you need to first understand a bit about the history of House Targaryen and the doom of Valyria. So over 200 years prior to the events of House of the Dragon, the Targaryens were one of 40 families of dragon lords that ruled from the Valyrian Freehold, which was the center of power in Essos, the continent of Essos across the Narrow Sea. In the center of the Valyrian capital was a chain of 14 volcanoes that were called the 14 fires. And the Freehold itself was built into the side of this volcanic range. When the string of volcanoes exploded in a massive eruption, the cataclysmic event that would later be known as the doom laid waste to the capital, its people, and the surrounding lands. From there, the eruption led to earthquakes it led to tsunamis, and it shattered the entire Valyrian Peninsula, casting it off into the ocean, and that created what was called the Smoking Sea. It was a cursed area that we saw in Game of Thrones when Ser Jorah and Tyrion Lannister were sailing through there with the stone men on the way to meet Daenerys for the first time. Anyway... 12 years prior to the Doom, the daughter of Lord Aenar Targaryen had a prophetic dream that Valyria would be destroyed. She, saw, uh, she foresaw the Doom, and she convinced her father to leave Valyria before the devastation. So Lord Aenar set sail, moving House, Tar- House Targaryen, their property, and their five dragons across the Narrow Sea to settle on the island of Dragonstone. When the Doom came for, uh, 12 years later, the family was already firmly established in Westeros, leading them to be the only dragon lords to survive the ruin. So now finally, onto these opening credits. So the first shot we see is an image of four dragons set against a volcano being racked by storms. This here represents the doom of Valyria that we just spoke about. And as the blood wells up over the sigil that's shown there, it covers everything except for the shape of a crown. This crown symbolizes Aegon, the first Targaryen king, who was able to escape the doom and conquered Westeros. Aegon's then followed by his two sister wives, Visenya and Rhaenys. They were both his sisters. He married both of them, and then his son Aenes, who became the second king of Westeros. From there, the bloodline jumps down several levels of the freehold model, streaming into many other sigils of Targaryen kings. Secondary houses like House Valerion—they're shown in the background—and each Targaryen that's represented has a specific sigil and symbol that represents them specifically. The final one that we see is for Princess Rhaenys. Her sigil is represented by the symbol that was on the Valyrian steel necklace that Damon gave to her in episode one. So when you see that last one, the final one, it is that same symbol that's on the necklace and that again is for Princess Rhaenyra. So me personally, I can't wait to see if just like uh, the credits grew and changed in Game of Thrones, if as the time jumps and um, the episodes go on through the course of this series, Interested in seeing if, as people get born and marriages happen, the uh, the whole opening credits keeps growing as well. So it's pretty exciting.
0: It is super exciting, and that's a great point. It actually was alluded to um, a lot of what you're talking about in the first episode, which we also talked about. You know, when um, the king was talking with Princess Rhaenyra about, you know, how the Targaryens need to be in power and like. And all the stuff in like all the dreams sequences and like what was truly um, happening because of the dragons and that they were the only ones who were able to pretend like they can control them. So thank you for that. And now I want to open it up. I don't know about you guys. We talked about how we're like, are they gonna do an open? Um, is it gonna be unique to this? Which obviously it is. I'm a little disappointed in the music, even though obviously it's so iconic. It's I love the music, I love it itself. I love the Game of Thrones theme song, but I was expecting something different I don't know what about you guys Brad you're nodding your head
2: yeah I went back and forth I remember, like Kate kind of commented on that like being a bigger disappointment for her I'm, I'm really like kind of torn like on the one hand I kind of get it but I think it would have been cool to I don't know maybe play into maybe the Targaryen theme a little bit more like they kind of have their own track the show is obviously heavily focused on the Targaryens versus Game of Thrones was all these different families so I think they could have still like done a little bit you know played in nostalgia by bringing back some of the old music but maybe not using the same exact theme song but you know it's such a good theme song that I was like I, I've got bigger fist of fry than worrying about hearing that theme song every week again <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean I think that in general I'm sorry
1: to, to cut you off so the composer uh, of all of Game of Thrones Ramin Jawadi uh this dude is awesome the, the original theme song was awesome he had a along with the orchestra that that he conducted did a touring show for years that we saw multiple times so all of them so good and so thoughtful that um i mean i love the original the original theme song and and it was cool to see it again but i was hoping uh for an original track also done by him that would really more encapsulate uh what's going on in this series compared to the prior one
3: Yep, yeah, I totally agree. I have the same, same opinion as you guys. I love the Game of Thrones theme song. Obviously it's awesome. It gets you pretty hype as soon as you hear it, but I was really disappointed. I really wanted to hear a new song and see what it would be. And like Noah said, Ramin Jawadi is so talented. Like we've seen him multiple times and I think he's played maybe some original things, um, at the concerts that we went to and they're awesome they're amazing he just does so well composing stuff um, related to what's going on in the scene so I think it would have been really cool to have a new song
0: yeah I agree he's absolutely incredible I don't know I feel like do you guys know if in the last few seasons if he was still as involved as he was I it seemed to me that like maybe the music wasn't there but I don't know Brad you might have a better idea
2: Yeah he he was still involved he actually did one of the things that was really cool is he did a track specifically for so you know every family kind of like in Star Wars it was like Luke Skywalker has his own theme Leia has her own theme so he kind of did that with uh, the different families in Game of Thrones and I thought it was one of the things that was really cool is the Targaryens have theirs and the Starks have theirs and I guess when Daenerys and Jon I forget if it's like right when they first get together or something he kind of like Use those two tracks together and came up oh. with a theme that like tied into both of them when they were together using those two tracks and like the notes of those two tracks. So uh, that's the one thing reason why I know he was involved at the very end is because I remember that little tidbit being like that's really cool. Oh uh-huh.
0: yeah that's awesome. I wonder if um because it's not just going to be focused on just the Targaryens obviously there's all these houses of Valyria coming through and there's a lot more that we're going to be talking about as well that are probably going to be having um, a huge impact on this if maybe they just wanted to go with, you know, everyone knows the Game of Thrones theme song. It's hard to get away from it. It is so recognizable. Like you said, Kate automatically comes on, you know, that's Game of Thrones. It gives you chills. It's giving me chills right now. even thinking about it. Um, but it's also important for people to be able to recognize the music of these families. As we saw in Game of Thrones with the Red Wedding, the second that the Lannister music came on, for those who recognized it, they knew what the fuck was up. So, I mean, it will be important for us to be able to recognize um, the music that is important for each of the families, but it'll be interesting to see. So if anyone's out there listening or if you're watching right now, let us know if you agree, if you wanted to see something new or if you like how it is. And if Noah's uh, breakdown of the open actually helped you understand it, because it's helping me a little bit more. It goes so quick that it's hard to kind of recognize everything. So thank you for that breakdown, Noah. And now, I think a lot of us are going to have a lot of the same MVP for this episode in particular, uh, but we're going to start it off with Brad. Who was your MVP of this episode? I mean, I think it's hard to argue against it, against this person, but
2: I don't think mine is going to be who everyone else. Has. I don't think
0: I, you know, you do like to be the black sheep of our little <laughs> geek and you shall find family. So let us know who, who yours is. And then we'll see who's who everyone else is. I
2: had Damon. I, you know, I, I think, Going the first, I don't know, let's say 20 minutes of the show without him, it was so, you know, and I, I know, you know, they're trying to do this to an extent, like, the beginning of this episode was really slow to me, there was just like a lot of chat, and, and they were doing that on purpose, they want hey, pick the next night, okay, I'm going to stand over all these knights who are going to step forward, they're not jousting, they're just kind of standing there. And it was moving so slow and kind of like lulling you into a slow, like beat by beat scene that I expected things to get crazy. And of course, when things picked up is when he's introduced. And I think he's just such a wild card on the show that you don't know how you feel about him, that anything can go any, you know, at any time, he tosses the egg, like, and it just reminded me of like his camera presence really is like kind of a game changer for the show that when he's not involved, everything kind of like moves a little bit more like molasses versus you know when he's involved, like there's a potential for things to pick up really quick. So that that's why I had him as my MVP because he wasn't in the episode much, but the scenes he was involved in the me were the strongest of the episode.
0: That Plus is much to Noah's chagrin. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, Kate, yeah. Uh, besides his face, you know, for Kate and Noah, uh, it is great to see him. Um, I mean, it's actually really interesting that you say that because last last episode, it was everyone. he was L- everyone's LVP rightfully so, because he is such a, he is such a villain, but that's exactly the role that he has to play. Um, Now let's move it along. Kate, um, sorry, I cut you off there, but who was your MVP? I think it's going to differ a little bit.
3: Oh yeah, for sure. It's my girl, Rhaenyra. Like she's, (laughs) she's killing it so far. I just really love how badass she is. She reminds me so much of her great 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 i don't know how many greats granddaughter Daenerys. um so I, I just love how she went out there and we're going to talk about the scene a little bit later when she went out to dragon stone to get the egg back because she was so upset about it being for her brother and she you could just see the anger in her eyes um and she ended up getting it back like no big deal no problem Um, Well,
0: that's also because uh, I think her and her uncle are in love, but we'll have to to see if time tells with that theory of mine.
3: There's going to be some incest coming up, I think. So (laughs) we can't Um, Game of Thrones without incest.
1: I Uh, I, I also want to talk about uh, Damon a little bit here because I mean, it doesn't change his stupid beady eyes. I still hate him um, and his face, but he is such an interesting character. And for different reasons, I think that the reason I found him interesting in, in episode one In episode one, as we talked about, he's ambitious, he's ruthless, um, but he also has a, a softer side as well. He's not, uh, you know, he's not insane. He's not a monster, that, that kind of thing. He's not a traditional villain when you think of that. But now, I mean, just seeing what he's doing, I think he has the potential to be a hero which is, I guess, what makes Game of Thrones so good in general. And it reminds me of Jamie Lannister, where in the beginning, the first episode of Game of Thrones, he pushes, a he he has sex with a sister and pushes a child out of a tower, right? And you're like, oh my God, I, doesn't? Couldn't, I couldn't hate this guy any more than uh, than I do. And then he ends up being someone that you really root for as the series goes on. And that's what's great about this show is that they show the kind of gray areas and it's not just black and white, good versus evil. Everyone has these dimensions to them. And I think Damon is a a perfect example of how that is a
2: thing. And another example of that is, you know, George R. Martin who loves gray characters has said, I believe for the entire Game of Thrones universe that Damon is his favorite character oh uh, I, I i know for sure if not in fire and blood or of the targaryens daemon is his favorite i forget if Damon's his favorite just in game of thrones overall so the fact that he you know has a, a fondness for that character specifically means he enjoys the fact that he knows he can take that character in either direction at mm-hmm. any given time and it'll somehow still work and be consistent it's not going to yeah. be like out of character for him to do something nice but at the same time it's not going to be some out of character for him to do something heinous so yeah, I mean, I think that's a, a
1: really good point. I didn't know that. I like that a lot. And uh, but you know what, George R. R. Martin doesn't like to do: stay on task and write the damn books. <laughs> that's what he doesn't like to do.
0: Are you going to say this every episode, Noah?
1: Listen, it, I'm not the one that brings up George <laughs> R. Martin. He gets brought up by someone else, and I just have to make sure that everybody knows this guy needs to write the damn books. He can you do gotta no get wrong. Your two sentences. Um,
0: <laughs> I will say, though, uh, what I do enjoy it, like, so that is actually really interesting. I never heard that about uh, his favorite character. I do enjoy that Damon is a shitster, and a lot of the stuff that he does seems to get a, either a rise out of somebody, maybe just get some attention because he is, like, you know, a little brother, and he's just never been in the spotlight, so he's like, I'm just gonna do shit just to do it and see what happens. Um, I don't know if everything that he does is malicious or has, like, you know, bad intentions behind it. Obviously, the the connotation of it is like oh yeah this seems like okay you're trying to like do this stuff but like then once you see his little like his his little mannerisms and the stuff that he says and the like and the fact that he liked when Sir Kristen like was talking shit back to him and he was like all right like I kind of like this guy he's like let's go like so um, it's just he is really interesting. He's interesting, and he's starting to grow on me too. So that's and actually that,
1: uh, a great take Kelsey, that was that was good. That I really liked that one line. Uh, he goes, "Oh, what was your name again?" And he gets his name wrong. And he goes, "Oh, I'm sorry, I couldn't recall." And Sir Kristen goes, "Perhaps my prince recalls when I knocked him off his horse." And Ooh! then he laughs. He he's like, "Very good, very good." Like he knew he got burned, but yeah. like, he yeah. I like that. And
3: actually, Sir Kristen Cole was my honorary MVP because of that, and also he's very good
0: looking. I mean, he's so hot, which it makes me r- really worried for him.
2: <laughs> I have one more question. So about
1: one of us. I feel I'm like sorry. every one of us talks about how we like a character of or something because of how hot they are. So we're all pretty pretty shallow. <laughs>
2: this
0: is a no. It's just a horny pod, you guys. What can we say? You know, all right. All right. we've been locked up for for three years of quarantine. Yeah, <laughs> an we-
1: honorary MVP as well. Uh, yeah. Um, I got uh Otto Hightower. Um. The reason why is because this guy is like I can't decide who he reminds me more of if he reminds me more of Littlefinger with his scheming and behind the scenes stuff or if he reminds me of Tywin who's like I will manipulate I will use my power to do everything that's the best for my family to to further the legacy of my family and he went from being the hand uh, and coming from a house that is not a major major house I mean the high towers are you know large but they're not the one of the biggest and all of a sudden his his daughter is going to be the queen. So, I mean, you never know. And it's just all his kind of scheming and behind the scenes actions that are doing it. So as much as it's shady, got to give this dude a, a consideration for MVP.
0: Absolutely. I will say that I think I was a little bit wrong or a little bit uh, jumping the gun when I compared him to Ned Stark uh, in the first a bit, episode. Huh? <laughs> a little bit, but what can I say? Um, I'm just really great at predictions. Um, but yeah, you can definitely see that also in the scene where you know, Brad, you mentioned that it was a little slow moving in the the beginning, you know, when we see Princess Rhaenyra, she's picking someone to be the head of, um, what is it called? The Golden. The Kingsguard. Kingsguard. Thank you. Um, But it really sets a tone. I think it really shows that there's going to be a dynamic between Otto and Princess Rhaenyra. And that's going to be a huge thing moving forward, because you can see that they know what each other is doing and what the game that each other are playing. So I think that's going to be huge in the long run, even though it's a little bit slow in the beginning. And then Brad, sorry, we cut you off. You said you had a print, you have a question about Prince Damon because you just love him so much.
2: Yeah. I, I was wondering, do you guys think he has any plan? You know, one of the, my favorite movie lines of all time is like when, you know, the Joker says in the dark night, like, do I look like a guy with a plan? He's like, yo, I'm just, I'm just figuring out. It's like, go. Oh, he's just like causing mayhem. And it kind of seems like Damon is that character. I'm like, like, does he know what he's doing? Like it kind of seems like he takes the egg and then just gives it up within two minutes. Like, yeah, and I'm not saying it's a good or bad thing for him. Like, I don't, I don't think he's like a little finger where he's like calculating. I think he's just, I'm pissed off. I'm gonna go do this right now. And then like, oh yeah, you talk some sense into me, If I'm not having fun with you guys anymore. Like it seems like he's just like toying around just because he can, rather than being like, I've got a scheme that I'm gonna like execute. Mm-hmm. Correct. I, I mean I, I, yeah. I think I think he he doesn't
1: necessarily have a plan, but he's childish, he's petty and he's childish. I mean, it, it was never about the egg. He he wasn't even married to the the chick. He wasn't even, you know, she's not even pregnant, right? He was just trying to get a rise out of his brother. He's just yeah. trying to get a reaction. So it's just kind of a childish move. And he knows he comes from a family, he knows what his last name is, he knows the power that he has. And so he's like, All right, I'm gonna go home to my my family's ancestral home, which is not. Uh, by right mind, but I'm doing it anyway. I have people that support me and no one really is going to come for me because of the power that that last name carries.
3: Yeah. He doesn't seem very smart to me. Like he just doesn't, I expected him to be more like cunning, like most of the other villains are in this show. And, um, he just doesn't seem very smart. And like Noah said, really immature.
0: Yeah, I will say he's cunning in a way where it's like more petty, like you guys mentioned, um, because obviously he could have taken any, he could have taken any of the eggs, right? The King didn't really give a shit until Princess Rhaenyra asked which one it was. And it happened to be that of her late brother, um, who was obviously who who died just minutes after being born or hours or what they whatever they said. Um, so, I mean, he knows what he's doing, But I guess we'll just have to see and just wait out to see how cunning he truly is and how calculated his moves are. Because right now, maybe they're setting it up to be like, oh, he's the reckless prince that wants attention, that's going to do whatever he wants. Because, um, you know, I kind of disagree with the scene that we're going to talk about a little bit later between him and um, the sea snake. But I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I feel like he's playing this part of being dumb and just reckless and oh, whatever, like I can do whatever I want because I'm a prince and I've always gone away with stuff my whole life. Obviously his brother's the king and he has abated and abetted um, his behavior his whole life as well. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But speaking of that, since he was last week's LVP, um, Brad, I'm going to toss it to you again just to keep it with the MVP LVP, who was your least valuable player this
2: week? I had Corliss, I'm not a fan of him, like, so I don't know, I, I either brothers. want someone who's like, a bad guy with like, a well-developed plan, or someone who's just causing mayhem for the, the fun of it, like, I kind of go and either, I either want like, the Riddler, and someone who's like, calculating, and has thought things through, or like, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm just like, stirring the pot, and it seems to me, he's like, he went from like, marry my 10-year-old daughter, to... Now you won't. So I'm going to meet with the brother who I know is like a loose cannon and rag on him. Maybe I can get him. Like, it, it just seems like he doesn't really know, like, what the hell is he, he just wants to find someone who will work alongside of him. And like, to me, you know, in a world where we already have all these kind of villains and semi villains crawling up, his story just isn't as like interesting to me of, OK, I'm just latching on for power wherever I can and hoping for the best. I think that this this episode was largely laying
1: groundwork of what's to come uh, between the decisions that King Viserys made, and you know what that does to alienate his allies. And to me, you know, I I don't I don't look at Corlys Valerion as a villain at all. I mean, he Mm -hmm. basically he they live in in Driftmark, and they're the wealthiest house in all of the Seven Kingdoms, more wealthy than the House Targaryen, and it's because they control all of the shipping lanes. So this threat from the triarchy and the crab feeder, it's directly at him. They are killing his men, they are destroying his ships, and they are um, messing with all of his business. And it's impacting him more than anybody else. So he just wants the ability, and the navy, the ships are his. But since he works for uh, King Viserys, he needs Viserys's approval to send the the navy to go defend this right so he's like let me send my own ships to defend my own land and he's like <laughs> nah it gonna work itself out so he's like fuck bro like i'm just like i just need to take care of me and my place yeah. so he's like if you're not going to help me and you spurred my uh my proposal which was a very valid one that literally everyone else agreed on let me let me just take a step back right king viserys there no one's going in <laughs> i know i am i'm sorry he, this is my MV, my I envy. Love. It. Excuse me. So we're going in. All right. Corlys Valerian and his wife, Rhaenys, Nice, both pitch marrying for uh, for King Viserys to marry their daughter, Lena. Okay. And so from there, he's not sure. It's a little kid, but uh Viserys asks for he wants everyone's unencumbered opinion. He wants their opinion, right? So he he goes to the Grand Maester. The grand Maester's like, Yeah, it's it's a smart move. He goes to Allison Hightower, who he later marries, and she's like. <laughs> I'm sure she'll be great. You gotta do it. <laughs> Raymera, whose mom just died and she's all grieving. She's like, Yeah, your first duty is to the realm. Gotta do it. It starts. Then he asks the one dude, the master of laws. This guy is Lionel Strong. He asks him, he's like, She's 12 years old. Like, I, I shouldn't do this. And the guy's like, Yeah, you need to do this. And every like everyone this guy goes and asks is like, Yeah, you'd be an idiot not to do it. And then he doesn't fucking do it, right? So it makes it reminds me a lot of rob stark where they're like you have uh you made a promise
0: Judy,
1: yeah you, have, you know it is your duty to marry um this one uh, the daughter of walder frey and he's like <laughs> no nah, i'm good and then it ended up he ended up getting killed and it ruined everything right everyone this whole like, almost almost family's killed it reminds me exactly of that so this dude is just making dumb decisions and beyond that like oh she's 12 years old how can i marry her i'm instead gonna marry this 15 year old All right.
0: (laughs) Okay. I will say like when they're doing that walk, I was like, she looks like she's six. Like she looks way younger than 12. So I was, I was kind of happy when they mentioned that she's 12, not happy, but like, you know, it's like a little bit better in this time and (laughs) dating. But literally he reminds me of like that friend that goes to everybody asking for their opinion on like an ex or something They're like, oh, should I get back together or, like, should I break up? And it's like, they just wait until they hear the one person yeah, that kind of says something that they wanna hear. And then they're like, okay, I'm gonna go with that. That just already spurs like what they already had in their mind. Um, but before I expand on that, Kate, do you have, um, is this your, is the King also your LVP this week? Who's your LVP?
3: He absolutely
0: is, yes.
3: Um, so I really like the actor. Um, I think he does an awesome job. So kudos to Patty. Love you. Patty. Yeah. I love you. Um, but basically everything Noah said. Yeah. Like he's just making the worst decisions and he's just kind of sitting on his ass and not really doing anything that a good King should do. Um, seems like he's really, really thinking with like his heart and his emotions, which, it's not always a bad thing, but you know, when you're king, you got to look at the whole picture and consider your alliances and consider your enemies and what's going to happen. Also 12 year old, 15 year old, super creepy. Like no one's arguing that (laughs) it's just weird. And it's also his daughter's best friend. So that's even more weird. Mm -hmm. Um, Also just a little tidbit. I saw this on Twitter and I wish I had like the name of the person that posted it. I don't, But I did see on Twitter that there was some quote, and I don't know if it was in the first Game of Thrones or if it's in the books, um, but there's a quote about only the kings who are worthy can sit on the Iron Throne and not be cut by it. Mm -hmm. And obviously what is the first thing this guy does? (laughs) Cut himself. So just, I thought that was really interesting. So whoever wrote that tweet, good job.
0: And the fact that like they he's literally rotting. Like not only does he get cut, but like he his body isn't even healing itself. They bring in all these maggots to try to eat the necrotic tissue. Um, like it's he has like something on his back that's disgusting. Like he's literally rotting from the inside out. And he's just stupid on top of it. So how I many got times theory
1: on that, by the way? I'll get into that later. I have a theory. Okay.
0: So. Perfect. Thank you. I love I'm loving this theory heavy uh episode but like literally how many times, like you guys mentioned, people are saying your duty is to protect the realm, protect the realm. Like you are the King. Yes. You can do whatever you want, but at the end of the day, all your enemies are looking at you. They're saying that you're weak. Like this is your duty. We have the strongest ties to Valyria. We actually have a longer bloodline of like Valyrian blood than even the Targaryens do. We just don't have the power of the dragons behind us. Like He's being a fucking idiot and whatever comes his way, he 1000% did to himself. But of course, it's not just going to affect him. It's going to affect everybody else.
2: There is one thing you guys aren't really considering: like Game of Thrones. What it does is subvert like our expectations and give us what we don't expect. They're setting this guy up as he is everything that doesn't last as a king. And Noah, you compared him to Rob Star, and we can compare him to Ned Starr. You know, it doesn't always make like maybe the wisest decision. Okay, things don't always work out well for these people. But this is the first person we've seen who has dragons on their side. And I wouldn't be surprised if the way it's going is you can afford to be a dumbass when you've got power like that behind you, and that is enough to get you by sometimes. When you've got the threat of dragons, you're not gonna have as many out. You know, Rob Stark didn't have that going in the you know, the red wedding, and you know, Ned Stark didn't have the ability to have a dragon fly overhead and take out his enemies. So I think they're setting it up way too obviously to be like, this guy's not set to be a king, don't expect him to be around much longer. But I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of give us the opposite in some ways of. Yeah, you're allowed to just kind of get away with what you want, you know, like making bad decisions when you've got that threat on your side.
1: The thing about that is, in original Game of Thrones, Danny was the only one that had a dragon, right? So she had some room to play with, and and if she made some bad decisions, like, it's fine, because she has a freaking dragon, or three of them. In this case, his bad decision in episode one alienated his brother, who has a dragon, also. His bad decision in episode two... alienated alienated his biggest allies and potentially his daughter who also has a dragon right so this could go a lot of different directions but dragon versus dragon is basically a certainty that we'll see at some point and he's not the only one that has it
2: yeah yeah maybe it's going to come down who has the most powerful dragon
0: i mean as long as it's as i I don't don't see a dragon die then we'll be okay uh but speaking of dragons you guys mentioned a few of them there was a lot of great dragon scenes uh, in this episode. Um, so we wanna talk about the best scene. Did it contain a dragon? Was it something else for you? Kate, let's start with you, especially cause you have a, a lovely little dragon sitting on your shoulder.
3: Xerax, I believe is the name. Um, and yes, yes. My favorite scene did include not one, but two dragons, obviously. Um, So I think my favorite scene was the scene that I referenced earlier at Dragonstone when Rhaenyra and Otto, well Otto first, goes back to get the egg that Daemon stole. Uh, Just the imagery of that where they're actually above the clouds and all of a sudden you see a ripple in the cloud and you hear the
1: whoosh
3: of the wings (laughs) and she just appears and I was like, oh my god, this is so cool. So, just the imagery of that was really, really cool. And then after she gets there, I thought her interaction with Damon was just really interesting. Um, I love how they speak in Valyrian. I think that's really cool, first of all. And second of all, it was just another layer to the character of Damon because you can see, and this was like a quote that I wrote down. She says, I'm right here, uncle, the object of your ire the reason you were disinherited. If you wish to be restored as heir, you'll need to kill me. So do it and be done with all this bother. Which is like, oh my God, she's such a badass. I love it. And he just kind of looks at her, tosses the egg back. And it's so, it's like, it's the thing that he wants most, right? To be on the throne and be in power. But there's no way that he can hurt Rhaenyra to do it, Um, which I find very interesting. And kind of like you said, maybe some incestual stuff going on in the future.
1: So I completely agree with what Kelsey said earlier and what you said right there. I think that it's too, um, it's too blatant. In episode one, it was when we talked about it, when he put the necklace on her and it just seemed a little weird. And now this, like, it just seems very foreshadowing about a potential relationship in the future with them too. Even though, again, she's 15, he makes a point. You say that, you know, you haven't come of age. Uh, Obviously he's her uncle it's just weird, but it seems too intentional for them to do for it not to lead to something between the two of them. And also when that quote that you just read, Kate, when she said, I'm right here, uncle, the object of your ire for a split second in my mind, the way they were acting towards each other. I thought she said the object of your desire. And I'm like, Ooh, but then I had to yeah, they kind of rewind it a little bit and she, I didn't say that, but <laughs> I just feel like it's common. I feel like that's common.
2: I've got a little fun fact for you guys. Uh, She's wearing the necklace in the opening scenes of the episode, but from the moment when she finds out, I got to go back and make sure, because sometimes she's wearing higher stuff, she's not wearing the necklace. Once she finds out that her brother took the egg, she's not wearing the necklace again, like that episode, like when she goes and sees him, or like later on when she comes back. So she obviously at some point took that thing and tossed it, whether or not to play mind games with him, of you see me, I'm not wearing this, we're not coming here, we're not cool, or... She got mad and tossed it, but I don't think she's wearing it again the rest of the episode. Hmm. I guess
0: we'll have to see how that relationship grows as because obviously you can see that Rhaenyra wants her father to do what she thinks is right, which is defending the realm and making sure that people see House Targaryen is strong, which if Daemon does end up, you know, going with Corlys and defending these people and like, you know, working to make sure they're kind of doing what's right and defending the realm Maybe then we'll have like a reunification of, of them, we'll see. Um, especially with the way that uh, her father did not approach the subject of him being in love with his best friend or slash enjoying the company or wanting to wed her or whatever. Um, so we're gonna have to see about that. But what I also enjoy, Kate, about that episode about that scene in particular is you mentioned it earlier, Noah, that the power of the dragon and really change whatever like maybe like you know you can ha- you can be the stupidest person but you have a dragon behind you and they're so loyal like the second Damon, like was like feeling a little like oh like you guys are gonna come up that dragon comes in and is like what bitch like you're gonna get my man like nah this is this is my person like i'm gonna defend them to the death and dragons like are just so powerful and they're so so loyal and i just really love them showing that of they're gonna do whatever the person that has chosen them and they choose to like you know to be they're, I don't even know, the writer? What would, owner? It's not their, they're not an owner.
1: The writer. A, the, the writer,
0: writer,
1: the, writer. So, the writer. So
0: I just really love. I loved that. And then seeing the two like come together and just, like be like, I don't care if we were cool before. Like if you fuck with Rhaenyra or if you fuck with Damon like you fuck with me. It just really reminded me of that. Um, but did anyone else have another scene? I think maybe we alluded to it a little bit before but did anyone else have a favorite scene?
1: Um, so I had I have a couple other ones I want to talk about Uh, the first was it was kind of a back-to-back scene first with King Viserys walking with the little girl Lena Valerion and it was just a really funny quote that I kind of I kind of laughed at where she's like my lord it would be an honor to marry you and continue the blood of old Valyria and I would give you many children and blah 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 and he's like oh your dad told you to say that what your mom tell you to say and she's like yeah, she said I wouldn't have to bang you until I'm 14. <laughs> I'm like, god
2: damn.
1: Uh, that was funny. But then it went straight in from that to the scene with Rhaenyra and Rhaenys, which was um, two really powerful female characters that kind of squared up against each other. And I thought that was a really cool scene where Rhaenys thinks that she understands the order of things more than Rhaenyra does. And Rhaenyra quickly says, Hey, at the great council, they didn't reject women and women being rulers, they rejected you. So she's like, I'm gonna create a new order. And I don't care how the order was, I'm creating a new order, which was so, exactly like Daenerys when she's like, Lannister, Stark, Baratheon, it's all the wheel. I'm gonna break the wheel. And it was just like that. Um, so I really, I really like that one too. And then she had that awesome quote, Rainice did. She said, Here's the hard truth, which no one else has the heart to tell you men would sooner burn the realm to torch than see a woman ascend the Iron Throne. And that just reminded me a lot of when Varys said about Littlefinger that he would see the country burn if he could be king of the ashes. And I just think that speaks a lot to the ambitions of men in general.
0: Yeah, and I was reading something too about how, you know, even though she was potentially going to be the heir to the throne and she was the, the queen that never was, how even the most powerful and the most, you know, feminist of the time, how they can play into those patriarchal roles and how they can, you know, even subconsciously, and then she's trying to push this down on Princess Rhaenyra as well, because that's all that she's ever known as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's really interesting to see that dynamic. And I think it's something that all generations can relate to, you know, you you sit there and say like, why is this oppressed character, you know, like feeding into the oppression? And it, it's just a cycle that, unfortunately, a lot of people can relate to, um, especially in our society today. So I thought that was really interesting as That's well. That's a great
1: point. And I think it's it's a defense mechanism, right? Because mm-hmm. she could tell herself every day that, you know what, I had no chance. Like it wasn't, it had nothing to do with me. I'm a female and no female will ever be in this position. Uh, and if Rainira was to succeed, then that would kind of shatter that fallacy and really, very near wouldn't have anything to to hold back on anymore and then really would just feel like a failure so she she doesn't allow herself to think like that
2: yeah that's a great point
0: yeah so we also like kind of alluded to obviously the king being shown as pretty weak um there's a specific uh there's a specific scene where Corliss specifically is saying like hey everyone is looking at you like you need to do this you guys all talked about that um but there was also a line in that scene, which was pretty incredible. Noah, I think you had it about the storm.
1: Yeah, for sure. This is when Corlys and his wife, Rhaenys, is telling King Viserys, like, yo, everyone, there's blood in the water. Everyone's looking at you like you're weak. Uh, You know, your enemies are putting strongholds up in our shipping lanes. You're letting your your, your, uh, brother go and take Dragonstone with no consequences. Like, the enemies are all focused on the Red Keep right now. And he's trying to get him to to take action, which Viserys just doesn't want to do. So Corla says to him, he says, to elude a storm, you could either sail into it or go around it, but you must never await its coming. I thought that was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, and like, obviously, we've been talking a lot of shit about the king um, with this. But obviously, not only are, are the scenes and what he's doing and his actions, um, you know, really alluding to him possibly not being a great leader. He just has the power of a dragon behind him. Um, we have the honor of having Brad G. Fay, the director of Geek and You Shall Find, the documentary, which you all can go out and watch on Amazon Prime, iTunes, uh, YouTube, you name it. Look it up. You can watch it on your favorite streaming device, except for maybe Hulu and Netflix. Not quite yet. So make sure you go out and take a look at it. But Brad, um, while we debate the king and how he's being portrayed, you actually have some really in really helpful insights into not only how he's being portrayed character-wise but also scene by scene. So this is what we're calling director's notes with Brad G. Faye. Take it away, Brad G Faye.
2: Yes. Thank you, Kelsey. Uh, so, <laughs> you like guys, that? You, you like
0: that introduction? That was really,
2: really good. You, <laughs> you honor me. You honor you honor and humble me. Um yeah, I know was- where
0: I know, you know, I know where my money comes from. So I <laughs> gotta, gotta make sure. Yeah.
2: You know, you guys have talked about a lot of the different relationships, uh, you know, throughout this episode, specifically between, you know, Rhaenerys and Rhaenyra and the king in the hand and relationship, relationship and every scene that me in this episode seemed to hit on one constant theme. And that was, you know, power dynamics and relationships and who wields the power. And, you know, I thought there were three directors from this episode. Uh, and I thought all three of them kind of delivered a masterclass and kind of, the difference between low angles and high angles. It's like one of the oldest tricks in you know, cinematography of kind of the angles looking up towards the person when they're the person in power and the camera looks down when they're the person that's looking up for help or is a weaker one of the two relationships. And that seemed to be at play in every scene of this episode. It starts right from the jump when, you know, Otto kind of tells Corliss, you're not the king's equal. So I think that was when at first, okay, like, well, who is the king's equal? And throughout this episode, I think we got lots of reminders of not only are there people who are the king's equal in terms of power they have, but are maybe even more powerful than the king himself. And I think Otto is a perfect example of that. Every time it seems that they interact, it seems the king was sitting not in his throne, but he was always sitting, having the look up on towards Otto. And I don't know if this is like a little mental game that Otto plays where he walks in while the king's getting wormed up or whatever you want to call it he's getting (laughs) his medical attention and he's getting his worms you know and that's when Otto kind of comes in delivers some news later on the king's talking to uh Han's daughter Han walks in says hey I called an emergency meeting of the small council and every time one of these moments happens, the king's always looking up to Otto and kind of getting his notes and Otto's kind of dictating here's what we're doing beat by beat uh, but to me, and I could literally go on and on. There was so much of this, like Rhaenyra and Rhaenyra. There's one scene when Rhaenyra is kind of looking down towards Rhaenyra on the balcony. Later that episode, Rhaenyra is standing up when she kind of, you know, digs back, like Noah said about, you know, they didn't accept you. Like at that scene, Rhaenyra is standing and Rhaenyra is sitting on the bench. So she's kind of getting the power back a little bit. But to me, the most telling of these was with uh, the king and his daughter, and I found it really, really interesting. We have that scene where they're both sitting at the dining room table together and they're both kind of equals, having a normal conversation between the two of them. And the camera stays like level throughout that entire conversation. We're seeing the balanced table, them at either end of it, just having the closest thing to a father-daughter, I guess, moment up until that time they've had. Um, later that episode, when uh, Renera returns home from um, King, King's, no, where did she go? Dragonstone. When he returns from Dragonstone, and the king is kind of disciplining her, it is the only time I think this episode we hate see him from a higher like perspective, and he's looking down and yelling towards her, and it's the only time we're like, oh man, maybe he he, he does have a little bit of fire in him. He does have, have the ability to get mad, and then renera to- totally turns the table and says, "Mind if I sit?" And at that point, the two of them sit together and are again equals, and within a minute. The two of them are back on the same level, having kind of a playful banter. I miss your mother so much. All of this leads me to theorize that renera is playing the game perfectly and kind of knows what she's doing. And I think it was, I don't want to say manipulative, but I think she knows by going to Dragonstone, getting the egg back, which her dad didn't do. Maybe that was just her being mad and taking the initiative to go do it. But I really think she's the one right now that is playing the game perfectly. And I think if you go back and kind of watch all these different angles, you'll always see her being looked down upon by someone else, but kind of leveling things up, whether Otto's trying to tell her how to pick the best night and things like that. So I'd be really surprised if she kind of stumbles and falls, but it seems right now more than anyone else she hasn't figured out.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a really great example of just how valuable, like we talked about before, like, you know, while she was being the wine bearer, or wine pourer, um, just like Aria, she was soaking all that up. And for her to be in there, while they were discussing the weakness of his fa- of her father and she suggested an idea which got her basically scorned um, and like sent to like do like a lower thing of like choosing. Um, the king's guard the head of the king's guard this really opened her eyes to say like hey like you know all these powerful people, a part of my dad's Council agree with something that I think we should do. And I know how to handle it, at least when it comes to Prince Damon. Um, She knew that Otto was going to fuck it up, which he was very rightfully like two seconds away from doing. Um, So it is definitely really interesting to have that perspective. Thank you,
1: Brad. Yeah, I love Um, Brad and and just what you said that the last thing I'll say is um, what you said about how the one time we see him with actual power over somebody when he's kind of talking down to Rhaenyra in that scene that was just like the only time he had power in episode one was when he was sitting in the throne and talking down to Damon and and that was the first time and only time we saw him speak with some fire to him no pun intended Uh, and just like it was the exact camera tricks that you're talking about so that was really awesome.
2: Yeah, I don't think did he sit in the throne at all this episode. I think he was always he's sitting in a child. chair, like he's sitting when, um, you know, he gets the little model fixed from his little Lego collection, and you know, he's <laughs> kind of like, oh, how nice. And then Otto walks in and is standing, like he always seems to be like in a situation of weakness, like they treat him like a child sometimes, like I fixed your toy, like. But I mean, it can't be coincidental. They have to be luring us into being like what an idiot this guy is and then at some point maybe he pulls something from his back pocket and surprises us all
0: yeah I think it's important too we talk about the power of dragons a lot in this episode um but we haven't seen him with a dragon we haven't seen him ride one we I haven't even seen his actual dragon um so I think that's really interesting because we talk about it a lot and obviously the two dragon riders that we've seen are Damon and and Princess Rhaenyra so I think that will be interesting as well um so- but before
1: the thing about that i'm sorry to, to cut you off um so viserys is in fact a dragon rider meaning he has that in his genes he's done it before and he was actually the last person to ride the dragon Balerion the black dread who is now dead we saw its massive skull it's the biggest and he was the uh, valerian was originally written by, uh, by aegon the conqueror during the conquest of Restoros, and he was the only surviving dragon to come from old valeria so he says in this uh in this episode that he was the last semblance of old valyria and that died with him kind of thing so i don't believe that he has ridden a dragon since valerion and with that viserys only rode valerion one time before he died
0: that's a good point um yeah so i think that's going to be really interesting so obviously before we kind of wrap it up um i think there's a few other things that at least i noticed so just wanted to open it up um so first and foremost Obviously, when we see the king and Alicent's relationship growing, we see that it's moved about six months. Um, everyone is is really waiting for him to remarry. I thought a really interesting scene was with Alicent and um, Princess Rhaenyra in the praying, praying prayer area, um, where she almost shifts from friend. A lot of times you see her, so in the first episode, you see her a lot of times just letting Princess Rhaenyra speak and just letting her, you know, and they're just kind of like, doing all these different things. Um, you know, their besties, I thought they were maybe also lovers. I think everyone's like lovers with princess Donira apparently. Um, (laughs) but she almost, for me turned into a motherly figure. So she's talking about how, you know, when she misses her mom, this is what she does. And, you know, maybe you should open the dialogue with your father. I think he would be open to it. And she's really playing up to like what I think she's expecting her role to be in this. But Kate, was there anything that really stood out to you or that you'd like to touch on before um, we let everyone know what we are going to be talking about next or in our next episode.
3: Just some predictions and theories that are kind of high level. Um, I think Allison started off obviously in these first two episodes very sweet, very innocent. You know she's picking her nails and is kind of nervous. Um, I could see the power getting to her head and her kind of trying to make a play maybe not for the throne um but it looks like in next week's episode Aegon her and Viserys's baby is born because I think it's about a three-year jump they said um so at that point she might be trying to get little Aegon in there as the heir instead of Rhaenyra so I could see some real tension happening there um and I think that's all I had except the last note. I think I think her name is Myceria. Myceria, the girl that Diamond, uh, Diamond, the girl that Damon is with. Um, I feel like she's going to somehow play a big part moving forward. I'm not really sure how that is, but um, it seems like she had a decent amount of like speaking time this mm-hmm. time. So we'll
1: see. Her that. accent was terrible. I, I was know. i was
3: just gonna say i hope she doesn't speak anymore because what is that accent
1: <laughs> what
3: is that that is not she doesn't know you guys she,
0: she doesn't even remember where she's from okay so how she's supposed to know what accent she's supposed to have Come I think on. She picked up
3: every accent she's ever heard and started using it
2: it was like <laughs> french Rocky
3: she's like, like someone she's had like, like,
1: peanut butter in their mouth while they were speaking <laughs> french milk, <right>? ricky Booby.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, she's like when madonna went to great britain and came back with an english accent and it was so bad and was like what the hell are you doing um
1: I do totally think that- lsu
0: <laughs> we have a lot of examples for that uh for bad accents so um no i will ag- i agree like i think she's going to have something um it was really interesting seeing her face her face when she was understanding what was going on, when she saw that Damon was using her as a pawn and she's like, yo, like you're protected, I'm not. So obviously she is someone that is a lot smarter than what they've led on as like the common whore, mm-hmm. which is actually reminiscent of, um, yeah, of, uh, say that again, sorry. Shay. Shay. Yeah. Really reminiscent of Shay. Um, so I would just say too, like, I thought it was actually, first of all, I can't get over the fact that Brad said that the King was getting warmed up slash getting his warm. <laughs> so let me just uh, put that out right there. Um, but now I totally forgot what I was going to say. So I have one
1: fact too. While yes, you- so
0: yes. Well, I have a brain fart, please.
1: So uh, the actress that plays Alison Hightower, her name is Emily Carey. And she also played young diana in wonder woman so she was basically wonder woman when she was a little kid and she played lara croft when she was a kid in tomb raider so she's like the cool. young Whoa. every badass female yeah. in an
2: action movie she plays the young version of them so i thought that, I thought that was interesting hmm. i did have my last note was about her too was about allison the one note like i really I had like this full-on list of the camera angle stuff that i was like I don't have the time to go into all this, but you guys brought up kind of like her relationship with Renera. I thought it was interesting too, when Renera is standing over her when she's like praying by the candles and she says like, kneel with me. And they kneel and from that point on. So it seems like everyone's kind of dictated, like, can we sit? Kneel with me. Everyone is, Oh, and um, what's his name? Strong, strong, uh, Lionel Strong. At one point he has a line that says, proud men don't like looking up. Yep. like you know and yep. he joins him at the table like there's yep. a lot of like how do you get people to kind of play little mind games with each other so you look like you're in a position of power so that was another one I, I wrote down was the Allison one like kneel with me and she's getting her to pray and it's like look we're equals we're not you're not better than me like so I, it'd be interesting to see where that relationship goes to
0: uh-huh. you think you're better than me um <laughs> As we, as we wrap up, I will say, I'll, or at least I'll pose this question to um, our listeners. What is more hurtful? Your dad being with your best friend, not telling you, or your best friend being with your dad and not telling you, I think from a girl's code perspective, I would say best friend, not telling you Uh, it's fucked up either way. And then also how shitty would it be to die with a crab or hundreds of crabs slowly eating you, baking in the sun. That seems like one of the worst ways to die. So I cannot wait for us to actually be introduced to, what do they call them? The crab man? The feeder. Feeder. The crab feeder. I like crab man better.
1: They're having little crab raves on the beach out there, eating all the people.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: one of the worst raves that we've seen them dying, man. That, that was crazy. I've got some some predictions slash theories too. Are, are, we, are we good to do that? Blame like- on
0: us. Blame on us.
1: All right, cool. So we talked a little bit about uh, Damon and Rhaenyra and a potential uh, relationship going on there. We've already talked about that. But I think that the show is going to be more complex than we thought necessarily in, in episode one, where it kind of looks like it's, you got Damon, who thinks right. the air, and you got Rhaenyra. And I don't think anyone really uh, anticipated the time jumps that every episode is having. First, it was six months between one and two. Now it's going to be another two years or whatever from two to three. And it's going to continue going from there with different actors and actresses playing some of these younger characters as the series progresses. So I think it's going to get so much more complex, almost how like, in Game of Thrones, the Lannisters were ruling and they had conflicts with the Starks, but they also had Danny across the Narrow Sea and then they had the Greyjoys that were uh, raiding and all that stuff. So, I mean, right now, just after episode two, it looks like it's you know, we got Rhaenyra on one side. You've got Daemon over here, who's joined with House Valerion. and then you've got the tri- Triarchy over here, who's a threat. We don't know exactly how that's going to come. And then you've got the new baby, who is going to be named Aegon the Second. They previewed that for the next episode, and and you just know that conflict is going to be where uh, Alicent and Rhaenyra are going to end up being at odds, uh, and 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 Alicent's going to want Aegon the Second to to be the next king. So it's just really interesting to see how these um, really complex conflicts going on. Uh, I also think we talked about the 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 throne stabbing the king. I think there's more to it man because we before the first episode starts we know he got stabbed in the back and they're like yeah it's not healing we don't know what's going on like it's not a cut there's something going on there uh and they had to just cauterize it basically then we see him get cut in the finger and they have to freaking amputate his finger because it's not healing as well or not then like Or i'm sorry they had the maggots right um because it's not healing so I don't know. I just wonder if, and actually I can't take credit for this. this is a, a friend of mine um, mentioned this too, but he thinks someone might be poisoning the king through the mm. Iron Throne, which is just, you know, maybe put a little poison on the tips of some of those little, little swords and and who knows? He just, mm. This guy's reckless. He just freaking cuts himself every time he sits down. So um, that's just an interesting thing and and something that I could definitely see a, a show about Game of Thrones and, and this one doing. Damn. Last. Mm we talked about who has the most powerful dragon. And they've now in two episodes referred to Vagar, which is the biggest dragon that still lives. It's one of the original, when the Targaryens came, they settled on Dragonstone. It was not one of the first five that settled there, but eggs were hatched on Dragonstone. So Vagar was actually, um, it was rid- ridden by um, Rhaenyra, who was Aegon's, one of his wives, one of his sister wives. So it's one of the OG dragons. But he was born on Dragonstone, not back in Valyria. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. they've mentioned multiple times that Vagar is still out there, too big for the dragon pit, mm-hmm. and they don't know where she is. And I just have a feeling that Vagar's coming back. We're, we will see <laughs> Vagar this season, and I'm very curious to see who will be the one that bonds with Vagar and who ends up riding Vagar because that person all of a sudden will wield a lot of power.
0: Hmm. These are all very interesting predictions. And I would just like to point out that none of us have read uh, the books or the book that uh, Fire and Blood is, is yeah. based on. And we're doing our very best to not have any spoilers. Um, so if anyone has read, please don't come for us. Please try not to spoil it. Or maybe if you haven't, see if you agree with us, because those are all really great predictions. And the poison thing, too, will be interesting because a very limited amount of people have access to the throne itself. So if that is a true theory, I'm going to be very impressed with your friend. Maybe they'll have to boot me off of this and then they'll have to be the host um but that'll be very interesting but did he actually get stabbed in the back or was it just like a a a wound that he just had already just to clarify we
1: don't we don't see it happen it happened before like the show picks up yeah yeah, that stab. it was a wound from the throne oh
0: so it went through his clothes and everything Hmm. okay all right you guys well unless you guys have any other predictions that we haven't covered all good we're all good to go. Thank you guys so much for tuning in with us with this very special episode of House of the Dragons, episode two. We are going to plan on trying to cover as many as we can as, uh, as our schedules allow, um, but please tune in. We're going to also be having our regular schedule where we're taking a little bit of a break from the MCU temporarily, um, if you guys have been following along with us, because Lord of the Rings, um, House, House of, now Rings, no, Rings of Power. <laughs> Rings of Power, why can't I get this, you guys? rings of power is already out so we will be viewing the first two episodes giving you our um our thoughts on that so please make sure to follow along follow us on superhero faces on twitter and uh, facebook superhero underscore faces on instagram and make sure to like comment share and follow us on youtube as well as all of your favorite streaming uh platforms Except for Apple, we haven't been on there quite yet, but we will. So don't you worry, Apple users. Thank you so much for tuning in with us. We'll see you right here for Geeky Show Find the podcast in the next episode. Bye,
3: okay, guys.